everyone. I'm Anna and welcome back to the K-12-ish podcast. Today we're joined by Rick Reynolds, who is a former teacher. You're the founder of Engaging Every Student. I saw that you've authored or co-authored 17 books and curriculum guides, which is impressive. You also, um, in your work, you develop curriculum, multimedia content, software, and other e-learning resources. And then a few years ago, you also launched a program for uh, connecting volunteers, it looks like, to different nonprofits called Share Organ. So I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Sure, Anna. Thanks so much for inviting me and uh, thrilled to be here. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it. You know, we met at a like a networking event for people in ed tech in January, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, right. I believe that was the last major in-person event I went to (laughs) COVID. So Uh (laughs) great to reconnect uh, the way we do it now, right? In cyberspace. (laughs) Exactly. So now we're over Zoom, like everything. So anyways, again, thanks Mm -hmm. for joining us. So just to get started, I thought we'd kick it off. Could you tell me about your first year in education? Sure. Great question. So um, I started out, I got a long-term sub position as a third grade teacher, which was a lot of fun. Um, But then I sort of fell into a technology integration specialist uh, role, which I did for a number of years. And that was so much fun. It was a large um, K-6 school. And my job was to integrate technology in all the different grades and subjects. And what I learned from that was that the best projects were the ones that had students doing meaningful work that's also connected to the real world and nature. And so that started my journey. That was over 25 years ago. And I realized, wow, when they raise the salmon from eggs in the classroom and then they release them and they can see that magic. And, uh, you know, we use the technology, but it wasn't like the focus. So, um, I just realized that's the way to go, like the project-based learning, inquiry-based things where the students, uh, you know, just have something to talk about and then use the technology to present or to share the data, analyze the data, whatever. Um, But it's just in support of the great projects. And so that's the kind of work that I love to do now full time Um, from being a technology integration specialist at the elementary level. um, I was in middle school for a year or two, and then I did five years as a high school teacher. So I kind of taught all the grades and sort of learned a lot of the same things. And now we have all this great research that supports, you know, how important it is to get students actively engaged, get them outdoors. Um, We know it's much better for their health and, um, you know, just mental health apart from from physical health. And so, uh, yeah, so that's my my passion and, uh, you know, kind of a long answer to your question. But basically, that was the first year and that led to to where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because it really is like anyone who's worked in a classroom, they know that students learn best when they're engaged and they're active. And then, so you were doing that. And then if several years later, they started doing research and they were like, oh, this is the really effective way to help students learn. But for a lot of teachers, they were like, yeah, like we, yeah, that make, makes sense. That's what we've seen. So right. yeah. Yeah. And so I pushed back really hard, you know, when they want to spend more and more time, you know, on testing, they want to phase out you know, science and social studies are rarely taught right now because, uh, you know, there's just so much push on, on literacy and math, which are important, but you can totally integrate that with 
you know, the science, the social studies, project-based things, place-based things. Um, and so I've been thrilled to work with a lot of different partners that do agree with me. And um, fortunately, uh, you know, groups like the National Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Land, Land Management, um, a lot of these organizations I've been able to work with, um, you know, really want to support this kind of projects and they realize that, you know, not only is it great for the students, but it's really great for their initiatives too. And so uh, I just love to, you know, get into those partnerships that can really have the most uh, impact. Absolutely. And so I'm curious now under COVID, are you seeing a resurgent mm -hmm. focus on project-based learning in a way or like what how do you think COVID's impacted that? Oh my gosh, it's so challenging. Uh, one of the projects I'm involved in is a big crayfish study. It's part of the River Mile Network. Uh, if folks are interested, they can go to the rivermile.org and it's a National Park Service program. We have lots of different partners on it. Um, I just did a workshop uh, on Monday. I'll do another one on December 2nd so folks can learn more about it. If they're interested, they can sign up at the River Mile, it's free. Um, and, uh, you know, it's this wonderful program. I, I did the curriculum and lots of other resources to support it. We have this online training, but it's pretty tough to get the groups out <laughs> collecting data right now. Most of the districts in the Portland area and around the Northwest uh, are not allowing in-person school at all right now. And so, um, or even uh, doing things out in, in nature uh, because it's it's so such a challenging time. So it's, it's a hard time to do it, but, um, what I did with the workshop on Monday and, and the kinds of things I, I do to try to support teachers is, is make it as easy as possible. So I built a bunch of little like Jamboard activities. You know, you can use uh, Google Jamboard and do these things collaboratively. So it's sort of like a simulated way, even if you can't get together with the students, they can still, you know, collaborate on a project. They can, you know, measure sample crayfish and get data that way, even though they're not with a real crayfish and, you know, things like that. So it's sort of like, you have to be really creative right now. And, um, just, you know, we're, we're so lucky to have these tools. So, you know, we have the video conferencing that actually works really well now. Unlike when I first started when we had it, but it didn't really work, you know, and we have, uh, you know, so many tools, Flipgrid, Jamboard, like it's just amazing the, the number of things we can choose from. And so um, I do like to help teachers, you know, be able to um, use these things to kind of make the most of this challenging time we're in right now. Exactly. And so one of my questions I was going to ask a bit later, but it kind of comes up now is you obviously do a lot around curriculum development and curriculum mapping. So I wanted to ask you, what do people get wrong about curriculum? And then what's a big aha moment you've had with some of the teachers or clients that you work with? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think uh, one of the key things for me right now is with the National Gen. Uh, Next Generation Science Standards, the three-dimensional learning. And so uh, it's really a, a key concept, I think, that really improves instruction. Um, I'm a big fan of the Next Generation Science Standards. And I think if, if teachers just, you know, spend a little time, um, it's the, uh, the disciplinary core ideas, you know, kind of the, the content, which is sort of what we used to teach. Um, but then we're trying to get everybody to think more about the cross-cutting concepts, you know, the, the things that kind of fuse into all scientific uh, inquiry, uh, you know, things like patterns and cause and effect and that kind of stuff. 
Um, and, uh, you know, then there's the, the cross-cutting concepts uh, that come into everything. So I would just encourage everybody to, to look at the, the 3Ds of uh, Next Generation Science Standards. Um, one of the projects I've been involved in is the Bay Area Environmental STEM Institute. Uh, folks can go to that. It's uh, BASI.org, B-A-E-S-I.org, and um, help them make the, uh, the website and some uh, resources that integrate climate change with the other uh, science concepts um, to make that easy for teachers. Um, but some of the tools we put on that website just make it easier to do things like uh, phenomenon-based instruction. So, uh, you know, you start with this like aha thing that really grabs the, the students um, and then uh, kind of lead the instruction from there. And so the students are getting that opportunity to be the, the scientists that are investigating this question, you don't tell them the answer, right? You just sort of float out this like really interesting thing and then give them a chance to uh, investigate it. And so one of the pages on the, uh, the BASI website is all on the different phenomena you can use for the different standards by grade level. And so you know, I think just again, making it easier for teachers to find, you know, those those good nuggets to bring into the classroom because, you know, I know having done it for uh, so many years that it's such a hard job. It's it's the best job in the world, but you don't necessarily have as much time to really put together all the curriculum. And um, I know when I was teaching, I was just constantly creating things over and over. So I, I love being able to create these things, give them away for free to teachers, and then uh, let them run with it, adapt it for their particular students and, uh, uh, you know, particular content standards they want to hit and all. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things I really like with the NGSS too is the integration of engineering into it and like design thinking as well, because that kind of then starts to bring in things around art as well too and, and thinking about the functional use of things. So it they've done such a fantastic job of making it so multidisciplinary. So true. Yeah. Um, just as an example of that, with the crayfish study, I teamed up with an engineer and we created uh, uh, design thinking with the crayfish challenge. And it's a, a lesson that teachers uh, can get. And we created a bunch of little graphic organizers that folks can use for free, too, to kind of step through that process of having the students design something that's useful with the crayfish study. For example, a, a measuring device, because uh, they're going out to the field. We want to collect that data, how long they are, that kind of thing, and submit it for the study. And so now the students design like the ideal measuring uh, device, as an example. And uh, those concepts can be applied to any uh, topic. So yeah, it's so much fun. You're bringing in the creativity, the engineering, the art, and, you know, fuse it into this project where they also have to know, you know, about the other aspects of the, the content, the, the crayfish or whatever. So it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think developing high quality curriculum, it's difficult and it requires so much work. And so being able to provide that to teachers, I think is so important because it requires like to create curriculum requires time. And that's just not something I think anyone who's worked in education, we know teachers do not have a lot of, um, especially now. So having that online and kind of walking them through how to do that, I think is so important. And it helps students get access to really high quality learning. Like it, it really feeds into issues around equity and making sure that all students can engage with content in this meaningful way. Yeah. So, so true. And it's, uh, 
it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, as teachers use these um, products that we've developed, they can give us feedback and then it can be improved. And so it's just this kind of win-win-win uh, that, uh, um, you know, we work on it together. And I love getting feedback from, from teachers too. So it keeps evolving. We need that like testing in the real world uh, to make sure it all works perfectly and have it get better and better over time. Yeah, there's nothing like a group of students to poke holes in any sort of lesson <laughs> plan you put together. So. Oh my gosh, so true. So so many times I tried to do this thing that I thought would be so great, and it wasn't wasn't quite there that first time. I sort of learned that it took at least maybe a few times before you get it really dialed. Right, got to iron out the kinks. But I know you're doing all of this through your organization, engaging every engaging every student. So I was yeah. just wondering if you could talk about the process of founding that and what your calling you really felt was. Sure. So I started it uh, just about 12 years ago now. And um, I had been a teacher for over 12 years before that. Um, I fell into a job in educational software. I worked for a company called Inspiration. I don't know if you ever used the software that makes the little bubbles connected with arrows and things. Yeah. And um, it was one of my favorite uh, tools as, as a teacher. And then I, I got a job as an education development manager for them, creating the, the templates that go in the software and the lesson plans and helping to make the, the software uh, better. Inspiration, Kidspiration, Inspired Data were the, the three programs that I worked on. Um, and it was so much fun. I did that for over two years. Um, but then in the downturn of 2008, I got laid off. Uh, <laughs> most other people I worked with got laid off. Um, and, uh, you know, it was sad because I love my job. Um, but, you know, with every kind of um, crisis uh, moment, there's also an opportunity. Uh, if folks haven't seen this, uh, check the, the Chinese characters or the Chinese word for crisis is formed with two different characters. Uh, the first is danger um, and the second is opportunity. So with every crisis, you also have this opportunity. I never would have quit my job uh, because I, I loved it, um, but yet all of a sudden I had this time um, and uh, the school year had started, so it was a rough time to look for a job in teaching, especially when teachers were all getting laid off in 2002. And so I just put my shingle out. I sent an email to all my friends and colleagues, and I said, you know, this is uh, what I can do, and let me know if, if I can help. Um, and uh, came up with the name, you know, Engaging Every Student, which was really my, my focus and, and the mission. I felt like that was the most important thing. If we could keep those students all engaged, then they're learning, they're doing real work and all. Um, and it just, I got lucky, it, it worked. Um, I got hired uh, right away for a fun, fun project. Um, and it's just been going <laughs> project to project uh, ever since to the point that I juggle um, usually about 10 or 12 at a time right now. And it's, it's fun. And um, my wife started working with me full time uh, earlier this year. Um, and I hire other people to help me with different projects. So it's just been, yeah, really rewarding work. And it, it started just because I had time and I had passion and I just floated the idea out there. <laughs> Absolutely. That's such an amazing story too. Um, and I like that, uh, that image of the Chinese character with danger and opportunity around crisis. I think that that's fantastic. I didn't know that, but I'm definitely going to steal it and use that when I'm talking to people as well. But I'm wondering now when you look at the work that engaging every student does, how really has this last year shaped the importance of 
well-developed learning content? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, educators are really challenged right now. It's it's not easy to engage kids, especially younger kids, but really any age in this online environment. And so, you know, for me, with my particular passion in like project-based learning and, you know, meaningful things, um, it, it is an opportunity, I think, for teachers to reflect on, um, you know, you can't always be right there with the students, you know, giving them something that you're kind of holding their hand through. Sometimes it's okay to just give them like a, a bigger project, give them space, you know, maybe you meet together uh, for, you know, a half hour or, or however much time you decide you really need in order to be able to um, get certain concepts across or whatever. But in general, it's it's better just to kind of get them started. Um, most of the lessons that I create now are in the 5E instructional model, which, you know, the first one is engage, then explore, then you get to explain. So, you know, you give the opportunities to just, you know, get excited first and then sort of play with that idea um, and, you uh, then come back around and, and you're explaining it, but it's also with their knowledge from that kind of exploratory process. So you're sort of explaining to each other and it's more of a conversation thing. And so I think, you know, this crazy time we're in right now does, um, you know, present that opportunity of just saying, okay, students, you know, here's something you can do. You can create Play-Doh at home. Here's the quick recipe. You know, you need these few things, mix them together, make your Play-Doh, and now you can create a model of a crayfish. Um, you know, here's a, a link to a site online where you got, you know, pictures of crayfish and they're labeled. Um, and now I want you to create that in three dimensions um, out of the, the Play-Doh. And so now you're off Zoom, you know, you're not having to keep them on the screen all day. They're creating their model. Then you have them go and create little labels that they can match up with that. Maybe annotations if they're a little longer where they really explain those those uh, functions of the, the different structures, you know, and so you're you're hitting all the standards, but it's through this kind of um, bigger project. Maybe you give them a choice too. So that's the other thing. You get a lot more intrinsic motiv motivation if you say, okay, you can go create Play-Doh or you can do a detailed illustration or you can do um, a story where you explain, you know, the different structures of the um, crayfish. And so I think it's just a, a chance for teachers to be creative, think about what they can do at home with, you know, materials they have, how they can still make it be hands-on um, using common objects. Um, I, I was part of a really great workshop uh, that the uh, Portland Metro STEM partnership uh, did recently. Um, if folks aren't familiar with them, I'd encourage you to just Google it um, and try to get into their uh, workshops. I was just participating in that one and I uh, picked up a, a bunch of great tricks. Um, we did a quick engineering project to make a sun uh, shade. It was a really hot kind of time in, in August. And, um, you know, we just ran around our houses and we found different materials that we could use to engineer a sun shade. And then we shared those with each other and we um, got into more, more concepts uh, later, but it was just, you know, kind of a, this fun open-ended thing. Um, and, uh, you know, folks love that, <laughs> all ages. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It's like, you don't need to over... I mean, I'm one of those people that I always overcomplicate everything. And sometimes it's just simple is better, especially when it comes to working with students or creating some sort of learning moment. Like all you need is just like you can work with your own household objects. Like you can make it work that way. 
Right. And then you can write about that. You know, you don't necessarily have to give the kids like, you know, the sort of cans, you know, write about whatever, like they can write about what they just did that they're excited about. And then they can present that to others. So you're meeting the common core standards at the same time, you know, they're doing the writing, they're doing the presenting, um, you know, you can give them a little extra reading, but maybe give them a choice with different things they, they read. And so, yeah, it's just all layered together um, in a, you know, much more fun way. Absolutely. So I think the last big question I wanted to ask you is then when you think about the future of your work, what does it look like? Yeah, you know, um, for me, it's um, I have a big focus on environmental education. And I think with every passing year, we realize, you know, how critical all these environmental challenges are that we face right now. Um, but I'm still very optimistic, even though the, the uh, data gets a little more dire uh, each month. Um, because I feel like uh, the students are are awake and they're interested in tackling things like climate change and um, you know water resources and uh, the plastic pollution problem, like all these different issues. The students are sort of fired up, and so um, that's you know going to remain my primary focus for the the rest of my life. I'm never going to stop doing this because I feel like the challenges are going to be there uh, for the duration. But I. I feel like we have all these teammates out there. We've got millions of kids around the world. We've got, you know, many teachers that care, so many nonprofits. There are about 2 million nonprofits around the world that care about this. All the governments in the world are on board now. The United States was like the last government that wasn't on board, but now we're going to be changing that in in January. And, uh, you know, this is very important. This is the challenge of our time. And so I think if we, you know, create those opportunities for the students to go out um, one project I've been really um, fortunate to be involved in is with uh, Solve. They're a local nonprofit that goes and cleans up um, trash and they restore rivers and things. And I created a curriculum for them where um, the uh, the students go out and they adopt a stream. And over the course of the year, they re- restore their riparian areas. So they remove invasive species. They plant native plants to get the shade on the water, to get the temperature down to where the fish need it, um, and just kind of clean up the water and whatever. And so in the course of doing this, the students actually have been able to bring back salmon <laughs> to these streams that they restored. And it happens really fast. Like you can actually restore a stream in a few years, those willows and things grow up and they provide the shade. And now um, all of a sudden there's enough dissolved oxygen for the fish to live there and they find it, they come back. Um, And so those are the kinds of projects that get me really uh, excited. And so um, if anyone out there hearing this has an idea of something that they wanna do that's like an impactful project, let me know. Um, Go to engagingeverystudent.com. You can find my uh, information there or send me an email, rick at engagingeverystudent.com. And I'd love to just, you know, get as many of these partnerships going as we can, because I feel like it really is, you know, a huge set of challenges that that we face, Um, but we can absolutely do it together. We've got these, you know, young engineers that want to get out there and design new things we've never thought of before. We've got um, just kind of unlimited potential, and I, I love just doing my little bit to help make it happen. And what I think so special about that is it's one, it teaches students the value of taking care of their community, but as well, they can actually see the change happening. Because when you think about something like climate change, you're like, it's so big. There's no way I myself can make any type of impact. And it's showing students like you very easily can. And I think that when it comes to this issue and so many others, like it's not just students, like 
I, as an adult need to see that or participate in it. Like I would love that. And I would be, I would be a better person for it. Oh, so true. And even uh, acting at the school district level, that's a project I'm involved in right now. Um, It's with the uh, Partners for Sustainable Schools. They're based in Eugene. And uh, we have a little working group right now um, called CARES. And it's um, trying to get climate action plans in place in all the school districts. And so Portland Public uh, uh, is in the process of, of talking about if they're going to adopt this really ambitious uh, climate action plan. Um, some other school districts are. And so teachers and students out there, please uh, check in with your districts about that. Ask them about a climate action plan. And if we can get that um, happening everywhere, it, it'll be a huge uh, impact. And um, it's not that hard. And it actually saves the school districts money because if you, you know, insulate the buildings, if you, um, you know, get solar power on top of the buildings, these things actually generate uh, a lot of savings um, over time. We've been solar powered at my home and office for um, over eight years now, uh, maybe nine. Um, And it just, it saved us a fortune. And, you know, it's that little upfront uh, investment, but now we get free, free electricity for as long as those those panels last. Um, And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that we can take, you know, immediate action right now. Just send an email to somebody say, Hey, what are we, what are we doing? How can I help? That kind of thing too. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And so now I just wanted to um, go to the rapid fire section of this interview. So these (laughs) are, some are related to education, some not just to get to know you a bit better um, and end it on kind of a fun note. So First thing I wanted to ask, the first thing I wanted to ask you is if you could have any other job besides working in education, what would it be? Any other job? Um, I've gotten into some artsy things in recent years. Uh, I mentioned I'm I'm working on a little video game right now called Fight the Bites um, with Clackamas County Vector Controls. So you get in there and you fight mosquitoes and you make it uh, safe uh, from vector-borne illness. Um, and so I might be like a video game uh, designer that's just kind of a little side thing right now, but it's just so much fun, the, the creative aspects and all. Um, I've illustrated a couple uh, kids' books that was fun, so I might do more of that. But for me, I really love my job. I think I have the perfect job that brings together all my passions. So um, thankfully, I don't have to think of a new one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> What's your newfound quarantine hobby? Hmm. I have to say I've never been, uh, or at least not in my adult life, never really been into TV. Um, but my wife and I discovered a show called Glee recently. Um, as a uh, high school student, I was really into uh, theater and like being in the musicals and stuff. And it was so much fun, but I hadn't done anything since. And now there's this great show. I encourage everyone to check it out on Netflix if you have it. Um, uh, G-L-E-E, and it's uh, really entertaining. So we, uh, at the end of a long work day, we get a break, we watch a little Glee, and we um, work out, and it pumps us up because it's lots of great music and dancing and uh, very inspiring. There's just a lot of social justice uh, sort of topics that come up, you know, being uh, accepting of everyone, and um, I feel like it's a really powerful show, and it is a, is a fun thing to do to get your, uh, and then we start dancing and everything too. So uh, that's been a fun way to survive the quarantine. That's, and it's such an upbeat show as well. Like you just need a little bit of positivity in your life and Glee, oh. Glee will give you that for sure. So yeah. 
Um, now that we're in between seasons, I was wondering if you're more of a pumpkin spice or peppermint sort of person. Ooh, I love them both. Those are my two favorite uh, flavors. But this time of year, I'd have to say maybe the pumpkin pumpkin spice. Tough to beat. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Okay. Then the last question I have is what's the funniest thing a student has ever said to you? Oh, the funniest thing. Uh, I would say, huh. <laughs> I'm thinking of a lot of really funny things, um, like the time the kid pulled his pants down in front of everybody, and the time a backpack burst into flames. Um, and uh, so that time it was a Boy Scout that had been on a camping trip, and he had the um, the backpack there right in front of me when I was teaching, and it, it burst into flames. I guess there was a match that struck on the, on the box, and it just... Poof, so I had to run over there and like jump on it. And uh, it ended up being really funny. Nobody got hurt. Um, and I think he said something like, uh, oh, wait, huh. I think there were matches in there or something like that. But I don't know. Not necessarily the funniest thing he said, but crazy funny experience. That's fantastic. I'm just picturing that like in a little mini explosion. All of a sudden it's like, oh my God, it's on fire. <laughs> Never a dull moment. And I, no. I think a lot about that with uh, Glee too. If folks are into teaching, there's a really wonderful teacher in there named Will who starts the Glee Club and he has to put up with a lot of abuse from everybody. Um, but there's just constantly funny, crazy things happening and you have to overcome it. That's the thing about teaching. It's like, you just, you never know what's going to happen and you have to be flexible and you have to keep a sense of humor. Um, and I think that's kind of the number one thing I learned in education in all these years is just like, you know, we have this great job, go in there, you know, have fun. And if it doesn't work out, it's just a good chance to laugh. And I think that's so important, especially now with this online thing, it's like the technology is going to break laugh about it, you know, don't, don't worry because, you know, otherwise it's stressful and not fun. So, um, you know, it's better just to like live and learn and, um, make it better next time. Exactly. And that's such a good place to end. So before we sign off, um, I know you shared it during the interview, but do you just want to share your website and email again or your social media, whatever you're using sure. that people could find you? Yeah. Check me out, uh, engagingeverystudent.com. Um, you mentioned Share Oregon is another uh, website I started, shareoregon.com. Um, fun project. Anybody can find and post the best things to do. So it is volunteer type things, but really anything. If you want to offer your own class or whatever, you just put it up. And I, I keep it on there for free because I felt like we needed this easy way to exchange ideas. Uh, it's been a little quieter since the pandemic, but uh, still being used. And I hope uh, folks will check it out. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rick. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and 